I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. All right. First, I wanted to just quickly say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you enjoy our content, please share it with friends and family or even strangers on social media and help us get the word out. We certainly would appreciate it. Also, if you are interested in finding out more about me and or working with me, please visit my website at www.thebradleyhall.com. Okay, thank you for joining me today. Today, my guests are Cara Rubenstein Dyeron. She is the CEO and Alicia Weiss. She's the CXO of an organization called Right to Know that is dedicated uh, to education, legislation, and mental health care for people who have discovered late in life that one or both of their parents may not be their, necessarily their biological parent. The phenomenon is called misattributed parentage, or MPE, or some people refer to it as NPE. We're grateful to have both of them, and please welcome Kara and Alicia. This is the live broadcast of the Bradley Hall Show, and I've been doing a series of uh, MPE, MPE interviews for this season, if you want to call it, uh, starting in, in July, it'll wrap up in October, and um, then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up and, and we'll publish this on, on YouTube and, and the uh, Podbean where I have my podcast, but I want to in- introduce both of you. Um, you are both, so it's Kara Rubenstein and Alicia Weiss. Did I pronounce both those correctly? No. I'm Kara. <laughs> I'm Alicia. <laughs> Alicia. Weiss. Weiss. It's all good. 50-50 shot with both of them, and I blew it. Kara, <laughs> uh, how, how did I, was, is it Stein? Kara Rubenstein, the Aaron. Yep. Okay. Okay. I have two last names because I added my birth father's last name to my last name. Okay. Great. Awesome. We can talk about that if you want to here in a little bit. I know I have a lot of people I'm sure, as I'm sure both of you do as well, who ask about if they should change their name or add their name. So I'd love to hear more about yeah. that in a little bit. Comes up oh. quite frequently. Yeah, it really does. And it's something that I've thought about as well. We can, we can, we can get into that. So both of you are uh, part of an organization called the, the Right to Know. And Cara, you are the CEO, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And Alicia, you are the CXO? CXR. I don't even know what it's, you know. Chief experience officer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. So um, you want to tell, one of you want to tell the listeners what the right to know, just a brief overview. Uh, We can kind of get deeper into it, but just what you do with the right to know. Sure. Alicia and I, along with um, Gregory Loy, founded Right to Know almost two years ago. It's a nonprofit organization, and we are based on the principle that it's a fundamental human right to know your genetic identity. So everything that we do stems from that premise. And we've coalesced sort of our efforts into three main areas, education, legislation, and mental health. So um, everything we do is to promote the idea that it is a fundamental human right to know your genetic identity. And like I said, we do that through those three main branches. Um, pretty much our goal is to empower anybody with, a, with misattributed parentage. 
because when you have a discovery like that, it's so disempowering and we want to empower the community. Um, one thing I just wanted to address off the bat, because we get this question all the time, is about terminology. Um, we started using the term misattributed parentage experience because we had a lot of our uh, uh, members who were conceived through assisted reproduction and adoptees say that sometimes that term NPE for non-paternal event or not parent expected didn't really fit them. And we can go into more explanation about why, but um, misattributed parentage is a mental health term that they've been using, professionals have been using for decades to describe when your parent isn't who you thought it was. And so a lot of people from our members felt that that was more inclusive. And we look at ourselves as a big umbrella group uh, for people who do have a non-paternity uh, event, um, like from an extramarital affair, a rape or an assault, or people who were conceived through assisted reproduction or adoption. And so it's, I like the idea of a Venn diagram where there's three circles and you have NPE, misattributed, yeah, um, assisted conception, and um, adoptees. And some people consider themselves, I know some people conceived through assisted reproduction think, oh, I'm that and I'm an NPE. Right. Some people think I'm just an adoptee. Some people think, you know, you know, the idea is we have so much overlap and so much in common and that's right to know focuses on where those three communities overlap. I think we have a lot of area we can help each other to promote um, understanding about what happens to us and also legislation. Okay, yeah. great. So, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, Alicia, please. I was going to say, Bradley, that as Cara mentioned, we're really about inclusivity. We, we don't, I mean, we know about all the terms and, um, and we understand everybody wants to fit a certain way. But for us, we want to make sure that we don't forget anybody because everybody has a story here and their story is important to them. It's important to me when I hear somebody's story that I, I'm there for them when I listen to them and they're saying to me what, what they're going through. And then they, they themselves do not even understand all the terminology. So we were facilitating them in their own discovery of what they have just found out about themselves. Okay. Okay, great. So to, to oversimplify it for people listening, an NPE is an MPE. Let me, let me, let me overpronounce those. An NPE is an MPE, but an MPE is not necessarily an NPE. Is that correct? That's correct. So okay. you could be an adoptee. You could be someone conceived through assisted reproduction if that's how they identify. We won't ever sure. tell anybody how to identify. That's up sure. to you how you want to identify. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've come across late discovery adoptees that will put themselves in that NPE and the, you know, the MPE together. Or late, and, and they like to call themselves late discovery too. So it helps them know where they can find their, I guess, tribe. A lot of people you like to use that word. And, you know, we, we think it's actually wonderful that each person, each individual has different groups they can be involved with. And my goodness, there's so many to choose from now. If you go to Facebook alone, uh, there's just multiple groups or tribes, you know, that you can choose from, or you could be in several of them. Yeah, yeah, and so this is interesting because uh, as this as this developed, my neighbor, I helped my neighbor, and he was interested in, in his heritage. He was adopted, and 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 he knew he was adopted, so he really didn't fit this whole thing until he took his test, and then he discovered that he was twenty percent Native American, and so he didn't think 
he didn't all that changed. It's not who he thought he was, even though he knew he was adopted. He didn't think he came from out West. He figured out he's from out West and, and they're, they're Spanish and native American. And now he's trying to track all that down. And he's, he's really trying to uh, find a space to fit in for that reason. And it sounds like he fits in under this MPE umbrella. Exactly. And you know, it's one thing to know, like I know people who grow up and say, oh, my dad's out there somewhere. It's kind of adoption. People call it being in the fog. Um, and you come out of the fog. When you come to the realization that, wow, there's a genetic parent out there, or you figure that out, you really start to focus on that. We all have the same things that we go through when we start that process, regardless of how we got there. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be a DNA test surprise, right? Um, there's so many different ways that we all come to this, but we all have the emotional impacts um, and we all have to find a way to come out of it, hopefully, you know, in, in a much better space mentally than where we were beforehand. And so that's really what's important. Yeah, great. Okay. So both of you, if I understand this correctly, both of you have also had uh, a DNA discovery yourselves. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, I will. I, in, in my story, I think one of the reasons uh, Cara has always said to me, you know, Alicia, you've got this experience behind you was because I've known since 2014. Uh, 2012, I think, was about the time the DNA tests became so cheap to take the over-the-counter tests. By the time I took it, um, I had always thought there was something unusual about me. I couldn't, I didn't feel like, I did not feel like I fit in with my paternal family, uh, even though they were so loving. And so when I took the test, I was shocked to find out that um, I, I was 50% Jewish. This, uh, it just shocked me to my core. I'll be honest with you, Bradley. I was sitting at a computer, just like I'm looking at you right now on the screen. And uh, I saw where, you know, this information was available to me. And I, I, I knew immediately what that meant. And I almost passed out. I just literally, I, I just, I had my, lost my composure. My children were coming home from school and I, I mean, I had to get it together quick. And I mean, it was really tough as anybody out there is listening to this, they can probably relate to what I'm saying. And so with my story, it did take me four years uh, of sleuthing really, and three different genealogists to help me discover my paternal family. And uh, I did find my family. I have had wonderful experiences with many of my new member, new family members. Uh, some I've not, I've been rejected by some of the closest ones. Um, and that's really kind of my story. And it's very similar. A lot of us have these similar stories. Yeah, we do. And I, 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 I'd like to, to stop and, and focus in on that. You said it took you four years. Yes, it did. I, because my mother, it's a good point you bring up, and a lot of people don't bring that up. My mother is 100% European German. She was born in Berlin, Germany. And when the test came back, I had probably at the time in 2014, somewhere like under 2000 Jewish cousins. And it was like, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? And there was nothing to compare with on the other side because my mother was an immigrant when she came to the United States. So I was already at a loss. And so as I had to really wait for people to go, start taking the DNA tests to finally uh, have, have it figured out. And that's exactly what happened. 
um, by the time uh, it rolled around where I was able to figure out my discovery, it was because finally some second cousins had taken the DNA test and it, and it became quite clear, but with a lot of work, it was a lot of sleuthing and a lot of figuring out by the genealogist helping me out. Yeah. I know, and, and I, I want to make a big deal about this four years because I know that when people, when this happens to people, because I'm one of them and, and I've experienced this as well, that we need answers. And, and I've so many people, I, I see so many people say that they're, they're ready to give up because they can't find their, their family. They can't connect. They can't find their father. Uh, I have a friend who is a very close friend who's looking for uh, a, a half sister that, that he's never met. And, and the frustration can be overwhelming, especially when we're looking for answers to help with the healing, right? I mean, that yeah. helps us move through it. And four years is a very, very, very oh, long time. It was horrible. And there was no support system for me back then. I was also going through a divorce at the same time. And there was nobody. I would go on walks by myself and talk to my, I, I'm a retired nurse. So I would talk to friends of mine that were nurses to help me get through it. And they didn't even know what to say to me. I mean, they were like as much, in fact, one of them said, you know, like, are you going to just give this up? I don't think you're ever going to figure this out. And that was probably the key. I was never going to give it up. I was going to continue. I, if it was going to take me 10, 20 years, I right. mean, I was worried I was going to go to my grave not knowing. But because of more and more people taking the tests, and I, honest to God, Bradley, I can tell you, I was on one of my walks. I did many walks when I did not know over those four years trying to you know, I just this one particular time I got out and I said, well, God, if you ever give me my answer, I promise you, I'm going to help other people that deal with this stuff. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. So I, I just, I want to encourage anyone who's listening that is frustrated or if you know someone who's frustrated, it, 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 it can be a slow process, but we, we will find the answers. The answers do come eventually. I haven't met anyone that eventually this hasn't worked out. I, I shouldn't use the term worked out because it doesn't always work out the way we want, but yep. the, the answers are there and they're coming. As you said, more and more people, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how many people are, are reaching out to me and following me every day. Still, we, we think that there in around 2017 to 2020, there was this, massive influx of people and you think that's it and there's still more people coming into this community and it just boggles my mind so i think we have a long way to go just i want people to be encouraged and hang in there so thanks for for sharing sharing your story uh carl what about you um i'm about three years into my discovery uh i wanted to i did a dna test because i wanted to do a finding your roots trip with my three boys um i was raised half black and when you're Black in America, you don't really know where in Africa your ancestors are from. We had traced ourselves back to three slave brothers who were sold in Texas, but we didn't know where in Africa they were from. So I did a DNA test to see where we would go ahead and travel. And I got my little pie chart back and I was 50% something, but it wasn't black. Well, that's, a, that's amazing. Have you, have you seen the episode with Jody? I did. And actually, Jody's my soul sister because we kind of have the opposite thing. I empathize with her so much um, with the things that she experienced. Um, it resonates with me when she talks people say, how could you not know? You know, your parents, the people that you trust, who you have the most sacred relationship with are telling you your story. Why would you not believe what they're telling you? That's right. Um, 
you know, being raised biracial though, you do grow up feeling like you never fit in anywhere. So those feelings for me of not fitting in, I'm not sure. I mean, I've talked of course to a number of other kids who are biracial, you know, that feeling of not fitting in is very common. So that feeling for me, I attributed to the fact that I was not, I was, you know, not black enough for my black family. And I'm just a little bit swarthy and dark. And my mom was married to a black man. So I wasn't enough for my white family. You know, you learn to code switch to pass between um, the two cultures. Um, so the not fitting in while I had that, I wouldn't necessarily have attributed it to um, my DNA surprise. But I will say I do have vivid memories of looking at a picture of my mom and my birth certificate father and going, well, if I squint really hard, I might be able to <laughs> say that I look like um, both of them. So uh, like Alicia, I had like 14,000 cousins because I'm half Jewish um, and there's endogamy. So there's a lot of inter um, relations going on. So the DNA is more concentrated. So you're related to lots of people. And I didn't know for um, five months who my family was. It took about seven months to confirm um, who my uh, family was. I have been rejected by my birth family as well as the family of origin. Um, so rejection has definitely been a process for me in my MPE journey. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And unfortunately, that, that is a circumstance that we see all too often. Um, and, and I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because people people need to hear that. So many people, we hear this all the time, right? Everybody thinks it's just them. They think they're alone. It's not happening to them. They see people. Uh, my, my biological father has is, is long passed away, but, but the rest of my family has been very open, very welcome to me. And I think people see that and they think that's normal. And I, and it's, it's not normal. I, I, I don't, it's not abnormal, but, um, Certainly, there is rejection. A lot of people experience that, and it's it's unfortunate. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and a lot of times you don't hear about the fact that the family of origin can. There's a rejection involved in that. You know, you hear a lot about the bio family possible rejection, but you know, as we hear more and more people's stories, that is that can happen. And so I just um, my heart goes out to anybody who's experienced that because it, it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I appreciate you both both sharing your stories. So let, let's talk about right to know. Let's talk about what you do a little bit. Uh, I, I want to read a quote from the website that I absolutely love. Um, There's no such thing as anonymous anymore. And boy, if that isn't true with uh, with this journey with technology, I don't know. I don't know what is. Um, so I, I just want to point out I, I love that that quote. So you said earlier education legislation and mental health and uh i'd like to i'd like to kind of focus on the the legislation part of it uh, i think that that's kind of what in my opinion from what i know that sets your organization apart um a little bit more a lot of there's a lot of support and a lot of education going on and i, I know you have some great programs i don't mean to diminish those at all but i, I i'm i'm very curious about the legislation I, and i think talking about that in depth will will probably will cover the education and the mental health side as well. Um, do 
you you want to want want to be want to take this and and start this off? I have some questions I want to ask, but I want to yeah. let you say what you want to say. So the thing about legislation that people have to understand is you're looking at societal perceptions of misattributed parentage. So you have all of those things that are tied up in rejection and why people don't tell and all of that is also uh, part of how the legislators look at misattributed parentage. So education really is a key factor yeah. in changing legislation. Um, you know, I, I like to say that if, if you stop somebody on the street and you say, um, this person's adopted. Do you think they have a right to know who their genetic parents are? I think these days most people will say yes, because we've shifted our views of adoption. 50 years ago, they might have said no if you look like your adoptive parents. Um, this person's conceived through assisted reproduction. Do you think they have a right to know their genetic identity? I think you get a little tricky there. You know, oh, you might, you might, uh, you know, people donate because it's anonymous, which, by the way, when the UK passed uh, laws saying no more anonymity, there was a little dip in people giving their um, uh, gametes, but it went right back up to the normal level within six months. So, yeah, that idea that because there's no such thing as anonymity, you're going to cool the fertility industry is just a crock. I won't swear on your podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> And then, but if you get to somebody like, so I'm the product of a one night stand, Alicia's the product of an affair, you know, and there's so much with our Puritan shame, sex issues in our society tied up into that. Yes. And if you say to somebody, well, she should know her genetic identity, I think people get even more uncomfortable there. So the idea of changing legislation has to be progressive. We have to start in the areas where people are ready to listen and slowly move it forward. This is a long-term goal. Right to Know is going to be here for the next 15 years advocating for legislative changes. We're building relationships with legislators so we can move to other things. And I was just actually talking to someone conceived through assisted reproduction the other day. And I said, you know, right now we're working on um, fertility fraud uh, laws. And when we talk about fertility fraud at Right to Know, we're talking about broad-based fraud, not just doctor fertility fraud, which gives everybody the ick factor, right? I haven't talked to one person who says that's okay, right? That if a fertility doctor uses his own sperm without the permission of the patient, everyone goes, ooh, gross, that should be illegal. There's not a problem there. But there's also other types of fertility fraud. There's when donors lie about their medical history. You know, oh, I don't have anything wrong with my family history. And that turns out to not be true. There should be some means to address that. So that way we can prevent people from lying in the because future. It it's exclusionary. Some of the things are exclusionary. So they would lie right. be, for financial reasons because sure. they would be excluded. And they wouldn't be allowed to donate. Exactly. And so it's not unfathomable. Once you, once people understand that, it's it's easy to understand why people would lie as, as sinister as that is. So. And there's not a really clear cause of action for that. So what happens with the fertility fraud cases is you can try to address it through contract law. But what the courts have said is, well, the parents were a party to the contract, but the children weren't a party, so they have no standing in the courts. So we need laws to give the children standing. Um, anyway, for the broad-based fraud, we like to include everything related to fraud in the fertility industry, not just the doctor fraud. Like I said, when donors lie, and clinics sometimes lie to donors too, or to their patients. So all of that needs some sort of legal consequence. And that's where we're starting. But I'll tell you, almost every legislator we've met with, and we're working in six states right now, has said, we have to do more. When, when they start hearing the stories, we bring people with MPEs, with misattributed parentage experiences, 
on and not just Dr. Fertility Fraud, but my story. Alicia has some medical issues from not knowing her um, paternal uh, history, medical history. And when they hear that, they say, we need to do so much more. And so that's really refreshing for us. We know that we can develop a relationship with these legislators and working with fertility fraud and then keep going um, to try to enact more legislation. And for me, um, birth certificates are uh, changes are my ultimate goal. It's my, my thing that I care the most about. Um, changing your paternity on your birth certificate is a very difficult thing. You have to go to court in most states to do that. Um, and I try to explain to people about, you can change your name. In most states, it's easy to change your name. But to change your paternity on your birth certificate, you have to go to court. And, and most people don't understand that what the law sees a birth certificate for, the purpose is different than how we as a society see it, right? We look at birth certificates as whose grandpa was whose grandpa, right? Um, when we're doing research. But for the law, it's who has to pay for little Timmy's mistake if he, you know, uses a baseball bat and hits a baseball in my window, who's responsible for that? So the law only cares about who's on that birth certificate until the child turns 18 or sometimes 22 um, because of college. And after that, the law doesn't wanna take the time to change birth certificates because that's not the point of them. Um, and that's why we're, there's some pushback with our societal reasons why we see birth certificates and the legal reasons why we have them. But I think there needs to be sort of a long form birth certificate with um, genetic parent, genetic mom, genetic dad, and then parent one, parent two, a surrogate. Maybe even there's more than two parents. I know in Washington state, there's sometimes three parents can be listed on the birth certificate. Um, and you can maybe order a short form birth certificate because of course, you know, if you're signing little Timmy up for baseball, you don't want to have like, <laughs> right. genetic, like all this information. So a short form would just have the legal parents, but that way we always have access to that information and it's not hidden from us. There's some discussion about, you know, when you turn 18 or not. And I think most people are comfortable saying that information should be available when you turn 18 that the yeah. parent who's raising you should have the right not to disclose that. And, and I do understand the arguments behind that, but I do think that at 18, everybody should have the right to know their genetic identity. You know, Cara, one of the things um, when, before we started Right to Know, I had went to a bioethics conference and, at NYU. And um, while I was there, I met a number of um, donor-conceived individuals. It was a very, um, how should I put it, emotional and charged um, conference. It was over two days. And while there, it was there that I knew something needed to be done. And so, you know, CAR is very good about giving you like the facts of how, what are, what's happening, what's going on. But the emotional part behind this, what's going on with those individuals that have it's like the wild west for them. They have absolutely no rights. And that's one of the reasons it has become paramount to us to be very inclusive with who we bring in our, our world with this, that it's not, we're not gonna not say, hey, you can't be involved with this work or you can't do this. You're not a part of that. This, is, this involves everybody. And that person has absolutely no rights, that DC person. And it just, it breaks my heart. I saw what happened. This was probably, a turning point for many of the people at that 
conference and they are working themselves very hard. Uh, there's a, a, several uh, donor conceived groups out there and they're, they're coming to us and wanting the help and CARA has been, and CARA knows this, we've talked a lot about this. We, we work as a team, we build within the state we are working through, we're working, what did you say, six or seven states, right? Six, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we are building a rapport with folks that are, they can be uh, in any of those MPE fields that are, that see the big picture here. And they're helping us to engage with those senators, those representatives, those councilmen, those assemblymen all over the United States. So it does take that true, it's true, it takes a village. You know, mm -hmm. we're here, we do our part, we help to form the bill, the law, what we would like to see become a law, the future law. And we, um, but we have, we need the help of so many others. It's, it's not us alone. This is a really, this is a big picture type thing, not just very small at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to talk about getting people involved, advocacy uh, towards the end and let people give out that information of how to contact you and, and do that. I want to I want to go back to uh, because I, I'm huge I'm huge on advocacy so um, I'll do what I can to help you guys get the word out and and get people involved because I, I believe uh, it, it's I, I was just say as critical as you do but you know way more about it than I do so I won't go that far but um, on, as far let's go back to the birth certificate for a second because I I think this concept is fascinating when I read it on your website I was. Uh, it was one of those things like, why didn't I think of this? It, I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's perfect. So you believe that on a birth certificate, there should be room for a, a biological father and a biological mother and, and, and then legally responsible parents, how, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And, but the genetic father and mother don't necessarily have any legal obligation or have any legal rights. It's just for, the right to know is that right exactly and and um we we see this sometimes in other parts i mean there's times so if you're the product of rape um you're um gen, at least in washington state that that man has no legal right to you right but you can the identity is there and so the, it's not an unknown concept legally to have a parent that doesn't have legal rights but their identity is known It's very important. I mean, we don't want these surprises going forward. The mental shock. I mean, we'll be picking up. I mean, I'm still picking up my identity pieces and right, trying right. to put them back together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and you both. And and I, I know that the, a lot of people that come through your organization, a lot of people I work with, um, it's all to help them put their identity back together. It is a huge, huge, huge piece of this. But I, I want to now. I want to play devil's advocate here for a second. Because if we have a spot on all birth certificates for the genetic father and the genetic mother, we are, are, are you advocating that, that DNA tests are mandatory with all childbirths? Oh, I will say personally, Cara advocates for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so, so does Bradley. Yeah, so does Bradley. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up here and I don't, I, I mean, I don't mean to set you no, up, but it's a very uh, sticky topic and it is. You know, there's so, I can think of so many situations where for the safety of the mother, you don't want to genetic test right then, right? There's there's marriages that are unsafe. You know, they cannot even speak the truth for, for their own safety, right? 
um, that's a really quick example of why <clears throat> you wouldn't want to do that. Although if child welfare is involved, they do automatically genetic test. So yeah, at least in Washington state, I'm talking about Washington. Um, but anytime child, uh, you're doing um, support, they do test for DNA to ensure that that is the parent. Um, however, right to know says by at age 18, right? That's when you need to have the ability and it should not be a, a court case. We're talking about thousands of dollars. I know, you know, if all parties agree to change a birth certificate, then you can't. So if you're lucky enough to have them all alive, right? We're talking about your bio family and the people on there. So in most states, it's a matter of law. Like my mom was married to my birth certificate father. So she didn't put him on there. The law put him on there, right? Because they were married. And even if it was somebody different, she would have had to have been proactive about it. And she was eight, 19. It's not like it's something that, you know, was really going through her head at the time. So you have to file a court case unless all parties agree. And that means they all have to be alive, which a lot of us, that's not the case. Um, and so it should be an easy administrative process, right? If you have the line on there and you can show through a preponderance of evidence who the genetic father is, then it should be an easy step to add that information to the birth certificate. So as I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm thinking about everybody involved, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the father, the, the, the biological father, what if the bi biological father does want to be involved mm -hmm. and the married couple does not want the biological father involved. Uh, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we sit here and debate all this and figure out all this now, but I do think that your suggestion with the birth certificate just helps lay everything out in nice, neat order. So the law can help assist to make the right decision. I mean, and it sounds like that's ultimately what, what both of you want. Yeah. And you know, with um, a biological parent of the child's under 18, it's very easy to go to the courts and get permission to be involved. If you are the genetic parent. Most I, I would, I'm sure that, I'm sure that varies from state to state. Um, I, because it's I, a paternity issue at that point, but the state is much more likely to get involved and help solve that problem when the child is under 18 okay. or 22. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of states have a statute of limitations. So in, I think it's North Dakota, it might be South Dakota. You cannot change your birth certificate no matter what after 22, period. End of the mm -hmm. discussion. Right, because that's the that's why would you do that? The whole point of it is to know who has to pay for the child, right? Yeah, so, or who's legally responsible. So, I mean, we have a long haul ahead of us here. Yeah, and and the biggest thing is, I, I know you mentioned this on your website, is is the game has changed. Uh, all these secrets that people thought were they were going to go with, to their grave with, whether whether they were innocent secrets for for whatever reason, uh, you know women in the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s who had to hide the fact that they had gotten pregnant from someone else or whatever the case may be, or someone who was trying to hide from their spouse or whatever the case may be. It, it doesn't matter why the reason was, uh, or in cases of rape or whatever. Uh, it's just the game has changed, uh, and, and unexpectedly so. I, I'm sure that Ancestry DNA had, and 23andMe, and I'm sure they had no idea this was going to be what it is but the cat is certainly out of the bag and we have to we have to address it and make uh accommodations from there so and you you have some experience with this because you mentioned that you added your biological father's name right 
I did. So I'm actually in the process of trying to change paternity. But again, that is a very difficult, that's a court case. I'm lucky I'm a non-practicing attorney, so I don't have to pay somebody to the thousands of dollars it would cost. Um, changing your name in most states is a relatively simple process. I get a lot of, so what Alicia and I end up doing a lot of the time is, is we field questions and we talk to people. Um, Alicia can talk about some of the systems we have set up for helping people. I mean, we consider Right to Know a resource for mental health questions, legal questions. I just got an email, you know, a few days ago. Um, I'm adopted from Puerto Rico. How do I get my original birth certificate, <laughs> right? I mean, we face these questions all the time. But a name change is very relatively simple. It's usually under $150 in the county that you're from. Um, I've noticed in the Southern states, there can be a little reticence by the courts for men to change their name. Um, however, if you say, it's all how you word it, you know, if you're talking about, I found out that Smith is not who my real family name Johnson is, and, and I'm proud of my new Johnson heritage, and I am a Johnson, and I'm trying to correct my family name, the courts tend to uh, feel some empathy towards that approach uh, for men. Um, we're used to women changing their name <laughs> in our yeah. country, but not men so much. And in the South, there can be a little bit more difficulty without sort of the right verbiage to prompt the judge to, to go for it. And I know this is this is a big topic that I hear a lot of people talk about, and it's something that I've even wondered myself. And I have a great relationship with my birth certificate father, uh, but I'm 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 kind of a purist when it comes to things, and I, I'd like to know my genealogy. I've studied my genealogy, ironically, for many years, and uh, I'm I'm all about my ancestors and where I come from. And so there, I feel I I feel fraudulent with the last name that I have. And it has nothing to do with a lack of respect for my birth certificate father whatsoever, because I, I have love and admiration for him. Um, and he supported me through this, but there's still a part of me that feels like I'm, I'm, and I think you said, I'm misrepresenting who I am. And I know many, many people. You're, you're not alone with that, Bradley. I mean, that is a very common uh, thing we hear with a lot of the folks that we talk with. I mean, you know, as Cara mentioned, we've got these three pillars that the, uh, Legislative part is a small portion of what we do. I would almost say, Cara, you can st step in here if you want to, but it is the mental health thing that we spend a majority of our time with. I literally get messages every day. Uh, we, when we do our, when we work with our mental health portion, we actually have a system in place. We, we've worked um, very hard when Cara and I started and I have to tell this story and I, and she knows, I, I love this story because I would continue to give her these ideas of things that we need to be doing, working on. And one day we were on the phone and literally I think Cara, your head was going to explode. And, and you were like, I've got to get this down. I've got to write it down, everything that we've got going on here. And she literally got out, she sent me the picture of it and she wrote everything down. Like, what is that butcher paper that you were using? Holy moly. I, she sent me that picture and I'm like, it was like, all these things like arrows going this way, that way, this go, these objectives and all these things. I mean, that is how much, you know, human beings we've got going on. We have so much we need to address. And with the mental health portion, we started thinking about all the different things that need to happen to help people. We looked at it in a professional way as a registered nurse myself. I thought to myself, what would I want to do? Where do I need to go for help? And so we started working with people and we put together um, 
a, a directory just for our psychotherapists and those that can help professionally. Um, and to me, that was just a small portion of it, a very big, very important part. But people were calling in that really, I have to be honest with you, people have no insurance, nobody to talk to. So we came up with the, um, and it's a hotline where people can call in or they can even email with any kind of questions they may have. And so, you know, those kind of questions, exactly what you brought up, this is a, the emotional, what the emotional trauma that is involved with finding this out and realizing you're not who you thought you were, that you're like a, well, I don't want to say a fake because you're not really a fake, but yeah. it's an, you feel like an imposter. You definitely feel like an imposter. And so then you're dealing with that. And there's one of the terms that I've, I actually think really fits here. And one of our therapists, Cody Bowman, and it's a shout out to him. He's one of our mental health uh, pa panelists that helps us at, on our advisory panel. He has this term called amb ambiguous loss. And that describes to a T, ambiguous, am I saying that right? Ambiguous, ambiguous, Cara, I mean. It's, yeah, it's a mental health term. Yeah, I mean, it just, the loss that people feel when they're trying to put their story back together, when they find out who they, who they really are through the DNA, the over-the-counter DNA test. So when we're working with our therapists, we try to, if we get calls for people needing help, we put also together not only that MPE hotline, but a mentor program, which we actually trained uh, several uh, folks to help us out. A lot of them are licensed RNs, LPNs, counselors themselves. And we fit in a program where somebody, they have somebody they can talk to while we're helping them in their particular state, find a therapist that can work with them. And we have had now across the board, several states, several I mean, we get back messages all the time where people are getting the help they need. I mean, just, it, it just, it, it's, I don't even know how to explain it to you, Bradley, what that feels like knowing that somebody's getting the help they need. Um, I wish I had a mentor when I first learned. I mean, we match people up with yeah, similar. I mean, there yeah. was nothing, there was absolutely nothing, you know, and, and this is the same thing with, with our, the, the therapists, they're learning as they go along uh, how to help our population of people. They have never had this to, you know, to encounter these kind of things. One thing I will say about the adoption world, we work with a lot of a, uh, another adoption group and, uh, and they have really helped us a lot with uh, terminology, with working with programs, setting up programs and how to um, educate other people uh, that deal with these things. So that's, it's all part of it. And in your, what you brought up alone, I especially think in men, that that name, the last name of a man, that they all find out that's not who they are. And let's, I don't know how old you are. Let's say you're in your 40s, 50s, or even 30s, you find that out. And you're like, what, what in the world has just happened here? I mean, it's like, I don't know, it must be like a sucker punch. It, it really is. And so in my situation, and there's a lot of situations like this, my biological father never had any children obviously had me but he he died believing it's a touchy story but overall he didn't think that he had any children or anyone to carry on his his legacy and um and so the the family you know the, the whole family name didn't pass down to me and then now i have sons and I, and i think about this i think about this quite often and it it, it is a big deal and and even even if i don't do anything with it all the people who are out there who 
we, and we hear this all the time too. People, or the the things that bother us, people are like, it's just a name. It's not a big deal. Your dad's still your dad. You know, kind of that whole thing. It is a big deal, and it will remain a big deal until it's processed. And which is which is what we're doing here, right? We're trying to we're trying to help people and let them know that they're not alone and they're not normal and That's there are people point. out there to listen. Processing, and we know when we hear that term, when people say that, does a lot of time people can't talk. They cannot. They're having problems right where they're at in the moment they're in. And when we invite people, like we have these programs we do ourselves, education programs, webinars. We have one that's called Community and Connection. Bradley, I think you're aware of it. We do it once a month. We have a, a therapist. We bring a professional licensed therapist. And we invite people in. And some people say to me, they might send me a message like, I cannot be on this video. And I said, you don't have to show your face on this. If you need help, just listen in. And I actually had three people yesterday from the Community Connection that actually contacted me and says, I'm so glad that I listened in. I needed what was said today. Good. And Good. I think that thing about processing, I used to think like, okay, I'm going to process this. I went to a therapist. I got this figured out. I'm going to tie a bow around my MPE, my misattributed parentage experience and stick it in a box and put it in the closet and I'm done. And I had a little, <laughs> yeah, a little while ago that I'm going to deal with this for the rest of my life. <clears throat> and it's like being a boat in the water. Some waves are big. <laughs> Some are small, sometimes there's calm water and you never know what can trigger you, what can happen, um, what might all of a sudden make you feel more like an imposter again. I think that that's such a key word that you used, imposter syndrome. I experience that all the time, especially since, you know, like <clears throat> I have to fill out those forms where you check your ethnicity, you know, I feel like I'm lying if I say I'm mixed, but I do not consider myself a, a you're a white woman because I just wasn't raised that way. I don't think of myself that way, but I don't want to lie. So yeah. I deal with being an imposter almost daily in my life. So I, I totally understand what you're saying about that. Yeah. And the, and I love, I love your analogy about waves and the analogy, I, I, I tell people all the time, you may take five steps forward and then suddenly something's going to knock you back one or two steps. And it doesn't mean you have to go back five. It just means that your progress is suddenly halted. And like you said, it could be anything. Filling out a form, somebody making a comment, something on a TV show. I mean, there's just so many things that will, it'll always, it'll, like you said, it'll, it will always be there. Uh, and I think people have that expectation, like you were talking about, that they're just going to talk to someone and it's all going to go away. And it, it, it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't, and I know we all three can agree on this is because it's trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It, yeah. And I, I think people dismiss that it's not. And, and that's something else that needs to be drastically changed. It is absolutely. I've had people tell me that their therapists have told them that it's not really trauma, which, yeah. and, and I, and, and, not to belittle therapists anyway, I think that because it's so new and the that's why the education piece is important. We have to, yeah. we, we've had a lot of people come to us and say, Hey, my therapist wants more information. And, and I'd love to hear that, that, that they're open to, to knowing that there, there's more to this. So we, we, you know, we radically have to get that out, but it, I just want people to feel validated. It is trauma and it is extremely traumatic and it you will know, never go away. You know, Bradley, one of the things I think about, um, to me, my emotional state, I think about myself in pictures, um, like maybe a collage of pictures of my life from maybe the past with my children were little to 
when they're starting to grow up and now they're adults. And when you find out about this, you know, this huge shift of who you are, I picture myself, I have that picture of me looking at that computer and that's now part of my collage. That's a part of my collage of my life. Yeah. And that's not changing. I can't take that mental picture out of my head. And it's probably what's maybe similar to what a lot of our listeners feel. They have this collage from the before and now the middle and then after. And now they're trying to put together the whole, the, a per, they want to make themselves whole. They don't want to be there. They, wanna, they don't want to be fractured. And so that's part of what Right to Know believes in. We don't want people to have to think they have to have fractured lives now because we believe that people can be whole. Yeah. Now, one thing that I like, I like to talk about a lot with people is that this affords us a, uni- a unique opportunity to look at life differently. And because the veil is just completely blown off, uh, you know, half our identity is just ripped away and we are forced to look at life differently, especially people who are blindsided come from a happy perfect happy family and then this blindsides them and they can't they can't make sense from that angle that 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 veil is ripped off and we have to really really we have a huge paradigm shift we have to drastically change the way we look at things to be able to to make sense of it because like you were saying Alicia we see what we want to see that's just a human that's human nature well and you were talking about that earlier Carl where you know you just your parents taught you something and it's just the way you saw you saw the world and, and, and Jody and I talked a lot about this, that, you know, people just say how you didn't know, but it's because we buy in, we buy in, we just buy into our beliefs and they shape the way we see things and we see them through those lenses. And well, um, we're innocent bystanders. I I always have to remind people we didn't make the situation. No. Right. We're just having to deal with the ramifications of the situation. And I know you've said, before, you know, this affects everybody. It reverberates through so many different families. I mean, most of us are adults. So we have our own families that we've created with spouses and children. I mean, my children went from being a quarter black to a quarter Jewish, right? You have to have that conversation. You're looking at different genetic diseases, (laughs) Um, you know, and then you have your family of origin, you have your bio family. I mean, there's just so many people. And I think it, it just, it just keeps reverberating uh, throughout so many different lives and so many different levels. And we all have to process it in different ways. And that's hard to remember uh, when you're the center of it. And sometimes when you're asked to hold the secret still or hold the secret for half the family, or, you know, there's just so many different aspects of it. That's traumatic. <laughs> it is traumatic and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of navigation. So, but- okay. This Go is ahead. huge, though. I just will say this because you mentioned your neighbor. My neighbor said you would never believe what happened to me. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me I since know. my discovery and talked about their own misattributed parentage experience yeah. for themselves, their spouse, or their best friend. I, you know, at least 20 people not knowing my story or that I started right to know have come up to me in the last year with a misattributed parentage experience. We're on the precipice. This is just going to keep growing. Um, and so we need organizations like this to help people deal with it. I agree. Absolutely. And to your point, I was on a cruise, uh, and it, for, with a group of NPEs mm-hmm. and I, we stopped in Bahamas and I, we, my wife and I met up with a friend of mine that lives in the Bahamas 
and I told him why we why, why we were there, and he told me he had just found out that he was me. <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up. Oh, it's crazy. Truth is stranger than fiction, <laughs> that's for sure. It really is. And the thing is, I've said I say this all the time. Uh, this is this isn't anything new. This is what human beings have done for thousands of years. We're, it's just now the technology's caught up with it. Yeah. And so we have to figure out a way to deal with it. So and it Alicia, will take, I was just gonna say, it'll take the law a long time to catch up with the technology. Law is always notoriously yeah. way behind technology. Well, Sorry. and there has to be a mind, sh- a, a shift, a, a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And you alluded to that earlier when you were talking about the education, you have to edu- use the education piece to educate the lawmakers. So then, the, you know, people just don't understand. It's not in their wheelhouse. They don't experience it. And, and it's hard for them to grasp and you have to use some type of media to reach them on an emotional level to where they finally can't understand that this goes with any problem. So um, I, I, I love I love what you're doing. I appreciate it. Which brings me to Alicia. Can, I want you to tell us how tell people how they can get involved if they want to get involved. Well, you know, we we have a Web page where we've been working hard on getting that, uh, you know, uh, we have people were helping us get the do help us with the social media part. Um, they can reach us through that MPE three two three talk MPE, um, or they can also uh, email us. Um, Car, do you have that email address? Uh, yeah, info chat or something. Yeah, info at right to know us. Say it again. Info at right to know. Okay. Uh, folks that are listening. Uh, info at right to know dot us. Mm-hmm. This is a good, I mean, what we're doing is, I mean, I will, <laughs> Cara said it in the beginning, we are just, we are fielding so many phone calls and messages that it's, it's almost, I hate, I hate to say this, but it's overwhelming. We're older, we're getting older as we speak and we need help. We need people that really want to have a, that have a passion that really see the vision with us. We don't, we can't do this alone. We need a, we need your help out there, guys. And um, anything that somebody feels that they want to help with, we we are ready to put you put you to work, really. And when we do legislation, we do it from a grassroots level, bottom up. So we always need when we go into a state, we need help from all the MPEs out there, adopted, conceived or assisted reproduction, to combine our voices much stronger. And if we all write, like we're working on New York coming up, you know, if everybody who was born in New York or lives in New York reaches out to their senator or assembly member and says, we want you to support this bill, that makes a big difference. Yeah, it, it really does. And I, I want to add that I'm a, I said earlier that I'm huge about advocacy. I believe that it's, that's built into 12-step programs for a reason. It's extremely healing. One of the things I always say is the best way to be inspired is to work hard to inspire other people. There's no better growth than helping other people. I, most of my personal growth has come through helping other people. And so I highly encourage people who are listening. Uh, if you if you feel so-called, get get involved. And, and I think that'll help you heal on a level that you probably can't even imagine yet. Whether it's with your organization or another organization, get involved somehow. Uh, with us. There's a lot of people who, who are struggling and hurting 
And even if you're struggling and hurting, you can still find someone else that you, you can support each other. And that's, that's what this is you all know, about. If you go to our webpage, you will see that there are all, certain, all kinds of different areas that we uh, work with. We help people with their, if they're looking for a DNA angel, we'll, we'll connect them with the right people that we believe will help them find perhaps who, their patern, paternal, maybe it's their father. Their, a lot of times it is a bio father that people are looking for um, if they need the mental health piece of that we are there to help them find therapy if they want to volunteer with being a mentor we are we're working on a program that we educate people on how to go about that what that's all about about and that education piece we have these webinars we're doing every sunday well once the first sunday of the month we do a uh, a webinar a mental health webinar and we just did one yesterday and it was phenomenal we had one of our mental health uh, advisory panel folks, um, Jody Rabb with us uh, yesterday. That's every first, the first Sunday of every month, unless it's a holiday, we do it the second Sunday at noon Pacific time. Um, the other thing is on the third Sunday, we do an educational webinar and we actually have one coming up here next, this coming Sunday. Do you, Carl, do you want to talk a moment about that? Sure. Um, this Sunday we're going to do, we're talking about documentaries and telling our MPE journeys through film. So we have a great producer um, from Bombshell Media who's going to talk about why uh, that particular medium is a great voice for education and sharing stories. And then we have two people who have experienced and done documentaries about their MPE journey. David Bynum, who's adopted, and um, Wendy Babst, who's the product of uh, fertility fraud. And uh, she did Baby God. I don't know if you guys saw that on HBO. Um, so both of those people will be talking about their experience in making the documentary and why they think that's a great tool to share their story. Yeah, we, we believe in people telling their stories. We even have on our webpage an MPE narrative. We have dozens of stories on there right now where people share. Uh, and I think it's actually healing. It helps. The, it's, in the, it's part of that processing where you write down. A lot of talk, people talk about journaling and a person journals their story and they want to share it. We, we have um, a, a whole page that has just dozens of stories. And um, I, I've, I've just talked to many people that said how much that has helped them to write it out, what's going on in their lives. It helps with the process. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of telling your story. Uh, it's very, very cathartic. I also want to throw in that uh, Jody will be my guest on August 9th. Oh, yay. She's yeah, great. We'll be, yeah, we'll be live here on Facebook. So. Um, okay. Any, any last words before we wrap this up? No, no closing arguments council. <laughs> no, no closing arguments. I do want to say, you know, we're, I'm always, I'm constantly giving people information. So reach out. I mean, these are a lot of the questions we do field. I'm in such and such a state. I want to change my paternity or I want to change my name. Um, I, and I know a lot of us don't have a lot of means to do that, but there are ways the paternity is complicated, most, almost impossible, but the, um, the name change is something you can do. If you decide that's how you can grow as a person for me, I felt like I spent 20 years with my birth certificate, father's name, 20 years with my married name. And I wanted 20 years with my biological name in there too. And that was what I needed for my healing. I mean, for you, you might think. Maybe I add my bio dad's name in there as part of, as an, as a, as a middle name or as part of a double last name or whatever you need to help yourself continue to grow. And I think that's, what's key, whatever, you know, you need, um, we're here to help. Yeah. 
you know, one last thing I want to say, I guess, is I'm not sure we mentioned this, but we are working on a summit. It's going to be our very first summit. Obviously, COVID slowed everything, everybody down. Yeah, for sure. But in early the spring of next year, um, we're working with some other nonprofits, and we're going to put together. Uh, we we will put all the information on our webpage, but we're going to put together a phenomenal. Um, summit where people will be able to come in and we'll be, do, we'll be doing actually probably it'll be classes dealing with just what we're talking about here birth certificate whatever new the new information that's out by early spring we're going to have it we're going to be sharing it we're going to have fabulous speakers with us um, and so it's something I hope everybody will be looking out for and, and I know I'm looking forward to it we have such a phenomenal group of people I I mean Bradley just meeting you you know, in the last couple of months, it's been an honor just to meet you and what you do with your podcast. Uh, we've been having these conversations with a lot of different people and I'm telling you, this is the way you get the word out. This we're not, we're not going anywhere. We are here to stay and we're going to make change. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent way to wrap that up. Thank you so much for both for being here. I I'm grateful. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for letting me be a part of it. And I'd like to, I'd like to be a bigger part of what you're doing. So I'll reach out to both of you and we will, we'll talk about that, talk about that later. So, um, but again, thank you both. And, you know, let's, uh, find a way to have you come back and maybe we'll pick some of these topics apart. Even we'll get even deeper into them and, uh, and maybe have some question and answer stuff. I know we wanted to do that today. Uh, but this conversation just, was so smooth that hour has just flown by i would love to talk about race so invite me back for that because it's a okay. big deal for those of us who have had big changes in our ethnicity yeah well let's uh let's talk about uh, let, let's talk about getting a, a group of people together a couple yeah. people together and let's do, we, let's do we that we have already okay. done that actually we have some things coming up with just that that we've been working Good. on with right to know it's so important Good. Thank it is very friendly. important so thank yeah, you thank you both for being here and I'll talk to you both soon. Thank you all. Thanks, it's so wonderful to be here with you, Bradley. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. Both of you have a good night. Bye. Bye-bye.